0: right, that's probably what's the heaviest thing on my heart. Obviously, in the moment, this is my opportunity just to speak to you from God's Word. And I must say that after last week and the Sunday evening that we had together, it was a challenge to me to put together a lot of questions for you, and perhaps a challenge for you to go through all those questions. Uh, Even though I wasn't in the room, I started to get a lot more questions that I want uh, asked and answered. Because I think there's a lot for us to learn in the study that we have together. And I really do believe that the conscience is far more important than most people think these days. And it's not, by the end of this, I believe we'll find out, it's not that the conscience is there to make our life difficult. It's a conscience is actually meant to make our path to glory wonderful. Wonderful. It's meant to be there to help and encourage us as we walk the way to glory. That we have the sense of walking with the Lord, of not displeasing the Lord, of trying to, in every moment of our day, know the Lord, and knowing the sweet blessing of walking in the way, as compared to walking in rebellion against Him. So, it's really been a good study for me. At times, I wonder... If I'm getting too pedantic with the topics, uh, if I'm going too slow, if the pace is too slow, if if it's just not the pace that we need as a church body. But I really pray as we go through some of these things that it will solidify uh, some things for us in our minds, that it may open up some things within our own heart, that it may help us understand other people um, as we've gone through a shipwrecked faith last week. And we look at people who leave the faith, as it said in 1 Timothy 4 this morning, that people are going to depart from the faith. As we think of all those things that happen around us, we try to piece together how did they ever get to that point. Well, what we're going through actually explains that. Last week we studied how a good conscience rejected shows the importance of maintaining a good conscience. If you're going to retain your faith, you need to have a good conscience because a faith can be shipwrecked by rejecting conscience. And that that kind of speaks to the gravity of the, the issue at hand. A good conscience is so important, you have to maintain it, or this is what could happen. So last week, in my mind's eye, we kind of dealt with The spectrum of a good conscience and then a shipwrecked faith, which is a huge extreme. And today I want to talk about what happens in between there. What happens between a good conscience and all the way to that point where someone might be shipwrecked, they lose their faith. And that's where we will together, my brothers and sisters in the Lord, consider a defiled conscience seared, a defiled conscience seared. Let's pray together and ask for God's help. Father, we pray that the entrance of your word would bring light to our hearts today, that this word today would be a word in season, that your people would be responsive to it, and that it would be used in our hearts to examine ourselves so that we would humble ourselves before you, so that we would desire to walk in a way that pleases you, so that we could love you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1984, a Spanish airline 707 flew into the side of a mountain. And the plane exploded and everyone on board died. This is a puzzling story because planes like this are equipped with all kinds of instruments that are supposed to prevent this kind of thing from ever happening. Later on, when investigators looked into the remains of that plane, they found something that was frightening when they recovered the plane's black box. Because it was that black box that told the story of what happened in the cockpit moments before the plane crashed. Now today as we study the topic of the conscience again, we are studying that God-given impulse within every single human being to do what he should do. We've studied an evil conscience cleansed, a good conscience desired, a clear conscience clarified, a guilty conscience cleared, and a good conscience rejected. And now we come to some of the most frightening teaching on the conscience. And this teaching is scattered between 1 Corinthians, Timothy, and Titus. And I must be honest, in my preparation, I wish that these texts had more to them, that they explained more of what they meant. Let me give you an example. You're in Titus chapter 1, look at verse 15 and 16. To the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. So Paul is saying here, as we've read the whole chapter before, there are false teachers who have defiled consciences. But what does that mean? Well, the passage doesn't explain. Paul simply goes on to continue describing the false teachers. We get no great explanation of what does it mean that their consciences are defiled. So in the course of our study, we're going to have to piece together a lot of biblical truth. And as we do so, I believe we're going to find two biblical truths. The first is this. A defiled conscience comes from going against your conscience. A defiled conscience comes from going against your conscience. I've said before, Martin Luther famously confessed at the Deet of Worms this. He said, to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. To go against conscience is neither right nor safe nor safe. Seeing that we talked about driving so much in last week's sermon, we might as well talk about driving again. And perhaps there's a young person who knows the difference between driving in England and driving in America, because there's one really big difference between driving here and driving there. You see, when you drive in England, you drive on the left side of the road, and when you drive in America, you drive on the right side of the road. And you might think, well, that's really easy. Well, if you're an American tourist driving in England, you might just do what you've always done and drive on the right-hand side of the road. But there's a great danger with that. There is a huge danger when you choose to drive on the wrong side of the road against oncoming traffic. That's just a really dangerous situation. And just as driving on the wrong side of the road against traffic is not safe, So going against conscience is not safe. Now, by by now, we ought to all know why it's not safe. We saw last week in 1 Timothy 1, and we learned that there were some professing believers who had shipwrecked their faith. How did they do that? By rejecting a good conscience. These were the kinds of people who said, Lord, Lord, but they actually didn't listen to him. That's where we learned last week that you will not long believe in a God you refuse to obey. These people chose to go against conscience, and to do so is not safe. It is disastrous. The text says it's shipwreck, disaster. But what happens if you go along with your conscience? Again, we've gone over this passage before, but Romans chapter 14 says this, Romans 14, 22. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. This is a wonderful situation. This is someone who is doing what he's supposed to do. This is not a description of someone with a defiled conscience. So here's the point. Doing what seems to be acceptable will not defile your conscience. Doing what seems to be acceptable will not defile your conscience because you can't defile your conscience by listening to it. Doing what you know is right is not going to defile your conscience. You see, there are certain things that everyone agrees with. There's the work of the law in every man's heart where there are certain things that he knows are right and wrong. Everyone has a sense that he ought to tell the truth. Everyone has that sense of when they lie, they have that sense of guilt. You see, if you're honest, your conscience isn't going to be bothered by it because that's what you ought to do. And when Paul listed the fruit of the Spirit, he concluded that list by saying, Against such, such, there is no law. There is no law against such things as the fruit of the Spirit. People who act with kindness should not worry about breaking the law. They're not going to bother their conscience by being kind. Why? Because doing what you know is right isn't going to defile your conscience. Here's the curveball. Are you ready? Ready? Doing what is wrong may not defile your conscience. Now, doesn't that seem wrong to say that? It would seem wrong to do wrong because we know that sin defiles a person. The prophet Ezekiel said of Israel that they shouldn't defile themselves anymore with all their transgressions. We realize that sin defiles It doesn't matter what the sin is. Sin defiles a person, period. That is the biblical truth. Yet sin won't defile your conscience when you don't know you've sinned. Remember we already discussed together the story of Abraham and Abimelech, Genesis chapter 20? That was where Abraham told Abimelech that Sarah was his sister. say, why did he do that? Well, because Sarah was so beautiful that Abraham thought that his life was in danger. Abimelech, therefore, took Sarah for himself, and he did so with a clear conscience. That's what the text says. He did it because he was lied to. Now, is it a sin for Abimelech to take Sarah to be his wife? I mean, he was, he, he was lied to. So was it sin for him to do that? Yes, it is. The text says doc, dogmatically that God kept Abimelech from that very sin so that he did not touch her. It would have been sin. Well, did Abimelech have a clear conscience when he took her? He did. That's what he said to the Lord. He didn't think that he had done anything wrong. He argued with God and said, hey, Abraham said he was she was the sister. So what we have is a very unique situation. And what it shows is that there's a difference between sin that defiles a person and the conscience being defiled by sin. You see, if you listen to your conscience, you will not be defiled. When you do what seems wrong, that is when your conscience is defiled. It has to seem wrong for you in order for the conscience to be defiled. So in contrast, doing what you know is wrong is going to defile your conscience. So we think of David, who cut the corner of the robe of King Saul, and he raised his hand against God's anointed, after which his heart smote him. Why? Because he did what he knew was wrong. That defiled his conscience. Or we have Peter, who when he heard the rooster crow, he went out and he wept bitterly. Why? Because he realized that he had denied Christ. When you do what you know is wrong, it defiles your conscience. In addition to that, doing what you think may be wrong will defile your conscience. Young people, imagine for a moment that you're hungry and that you ask your dad for a cookie. And he responds to you with an answer, but you actually misunderstand him. For some reason, it was too loud, and you just didn't get what he said. Your dad responds to you when you ask for a cookie and says, sure, that's fine. But for some reason, you understand it to be, no, you can't. Of course, at that moment, you probably walk away a little bit disappointed, But then what happens if you sneak into the kitchen and take a cookie anyway? Have you sinned when your dad said, actually, even though you didn't understand him, when he said, that's fine, have a cookie? Did you sin when you went to the kitchen and got a cookie for yourself? You see, there's the problem. That's sin, because in your heart, you were choosing to do what you thought was wrong. In your heart, you thought, I shouldn't, but I'm going to anyway. In your heart, you were rebelling against what your dad, what you thought your dad had said. Romans 14.23 says, whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because he's not eating from faith. Whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. So if you do what you think is not right, You are choosing to be rebellious, and that is sin. Now, that brings us to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, where we are going to see an example, an example of one who defiles his conscience. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 7. However, so obviously we're jumping into the middle of a discussion. However, not all men have this knowledge. But some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Now, that's a long verse. In English, we call it a complex compound sentence. But to make it just more simple, some folks did something, and in so doing, they defiled their conscience. What they do? Well, they ate food. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with eating food, we might wonder? Well, there were some in Corinth with knowledge who didn't think it was a problem at all. But these who are described in verse 7 as being weak, these who are without knowledge, they did see a problem with eating it. It wasn't okay for them. Now, let me explain by talking to you about the other details in verse 7. Look there. First, we see that these people had a former association with idols. That is to say, these were Christians who were recently saved out of paganism. They would worship idols in part by sacrificing food to them. That was their past. That's what they were used to. That was their lifestyle. But now they've been converted. And now as Christians, they're faced with the decision of eating that food with which they had formerly worshipped idols. You see, to them, the decision to eat that food was like worshipping that idol again. It was deja vu to them. So they thought it was wrong to eat what was part of idol worship. That's how you worship an idol. You ought not do that, they thought. Now, if you read through the commentaries, commentaries disagree on whether or not eating that food offered to idols was actually sinful, but the fact remains, these people who had weak consciences when they ate, they were choosing to go against their conscience. If we read through the rest of this passage in the language of 1 Corinthians 8, they were stumbling. It's a physical description for a spiritual reality. They... Fell spiritually. They were sinning by eating that food. They were sinning by going against their conscience, thereby defiling their conscience. Kids, remember the the person who ate the cookie when his dad said yes, but they thought he said no? When you choose to do it, when you think you're doing the wrong thing, you are sinning. You are defiling your conscience. You say, what? What's why is this something we're even taking time to talk about? I mean, if it was okay, I mean, isn't it okay? If it's actually okay? Well, the overarching truth is this. Going against conscience is neither right nor safe. And what we need to see is there is a great difference between sinning ignorantly and sinning purposefully as we read through scriptures especially the the Pentateuch we realize that God holds people accountable when they sin in ignorance even if you didn't even realize you were sinning he still holds you accountable because you've transgressed some of you would appreciate a more outdoorsman kind of illustration so just imagine for a moment that you were walking through the woods And by chance, you end up walking on someone else's property. Perhaps they didn't post any signs that it was their property. You didn't realize where the property lines are. And you trespass on their property. You had no idea. You were innocent in your own mind. But compare that to someone who sees the sign, private property, no trespassing, and he just walks on by walks on by. He doesn't care about it. He doesn't listen. He refuses. That's rebellion. And that is what we have here when a person makes a personal, rebellious, sinful choice that defiles his conscience. When we think about defiling the conscience, we need to realize this is a self-inflicted stain. And maybe put this together with the rest of our study. A defiled conscience comes when someone chooses to reject a good conscience. A defiled conscience comes by choosing wrong instead of right. And that is a terrible thing to do. It's a terrible thing to do. But now we transition to the worst state of the conscience, which is a seared conscience. When someone defiles his conscience, he goes against what he believes is right and wrong. But a seared conscience can no longer discern between right and wrong. Now we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. 1 Timothy chapter 4. The passage says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons. Say, how is that doctrine presented? Well, it's it's through folks, through people, through the insincerity of liars. Liars whose consciences are seared. And all we have here is the statement that their consciences are seared. What does that mean? What does it mean to sear? Well, some understand this searing to be something like the process of branding cattle. Branding cattle. A brand is placed... It's heated up in the fire. It's placed upon the cattle so that there's a mark left upon the cattle. And there, by that mark, it is plain to everyone. This animal is owned by a particular person. The searing, therefore, would denote ownership, that these people are branded as belonging to Satan. That's one idea. I don't think it's the right one. I think it's more likely that Paul is focusing on the effect that searing has. When something is seared, it is cauterized with the result that you lose sensitivity. So those people who have seared consciences no longer have a sensitivity to guilt, no longer are sensitive to shame. These are the kinds of folks who don't blush anymore. Paul talked about these kinds of folks in Ephesians chapter 4. A seared conscience is past feeling. Ephesians 4.39 says, They have become calloused. Many of us grew up on the King James, and we remember it says, who being past feeling. You know, one of God's greatest gifts to man is pain. That's meant to strike us for a moment and to make us think. One of God's greatest gifts to us is that we feel pain. Imagine that you're making eggs this morning, young people, and you're not careful, and you stick your hand out, and you touch the hot pan. It is a wonderful gift of God that you sense pain when you do that. Because if you didn't sense that pain, you would greatly damage your hands. So pain is a wonderful warning. And so it is that the guilt of the conscience is a wonderful gift of God. Why? Because it sounds the alarm in the soul that there is something that's not right. Guilt is is a wonderful gift of God. But modern psychology tries to suppress guilt at all cost. Modern psychology is going to tell people, you're not broken, you're not a sinner, you don't need to feel any remorse for what you do when you follow your heart. Even though we know that the Bible teaches us that the heart is just desperately wicked. What modern psychology would drill into mankind is that there should be no guilt in life. Be whatever you want. Follow your heart. And what complicates things is that professing Christian churches parrot that kind of doctrine. You see, to be without the guilt of sin, without the sense of right and wrong, that is a terrible thing. It is always a good thing To sense the sinfulness of sin. To be able to call evil, evil. Because when you can't, that is an extremely dangerous situation. So the question comes, well, how do you get into a situation like that? How is it that you come to the place that your conscience is seared? Well, the seared conscience comes from defiling your conscience. Romans 1:18 says that there were people who suppressed the truth by their wickedness. How did they push down what they knew? By acting in rebellion against it. 1 Timothy 4:2 says they it teaches that those who had seared consciences it describes them as liars. They're doing what they know they ought not to do. When they know they ought to tell the truth, they're just lying lying, lying. They're liars. So the conscience is seared when you continually go against it. The conscience is seared when you refuse to listen. It's like the Israelites, who so many times were spoken of as having stiff necks. Jeremiah the prophet said, "...they didn't listen or incline their ear, but stiffened their neck that they might not hear and receive instruction." And perhaps the most popular example of this kind of thing is Pharaoh of Egypt. Uh, Young people, that's why you have that in the front of your bulletin. Because he was a man who repeatedly heard the command of God, and he said, no, no, no. At times he said, well, maybe this, go for this for a short time, and then he changed his mind. No, no, no. And then while Israel was being destroyed and his advisors were saying... Uh, while Egypt was being destroyed, his advisors were saying to him, the land is being destroyed. Change. Stop your, stop your stubbornness. Even at that moment, he says, no, I will not let the people go. This defiling conscience is refusing to listen. It's a conscience that is seared by ignoring instruction. This is another case that was true for the people of Israel. Ezekiel said, The house of Israel is not willing to listen to you, God speaking to him, for they are not willing to listen to me, because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. You see, one of the marks that someone defiles his conscience is that he won't listen to God. Therefore, he won't listen to God's messengers. People who are trying to help them by giving them the light of the truth, they refuse to listen to it. That is a terrible state. We think of someone like Judas, who Jesus said to Judas that he would betray him. And even though Judas heard from Jesus' lips that he would betray him, that didn't turn Judas from doing what he had planned on doing. Because for some people, they can get to the state, or according to Isaiah 5.20, that they call evil good and good evil. And you might say, that's our society. They don't know up from down. Right. Remember, all mankind have a conscience. All mankind can defile their conscience. They have the work of the law in their heart, so they can go against those things and thereby defile their conscience and ultimately sear their conscience. And so it is that people who are within the the health and the warmth of the church, who know the things of the scriptures, they too can choose to defile their conscience by going against it, by rejecting a good conscience. And I think one of the hardest things to have to speak to is, well, how do you know if you have a seared conscience? Let me give you some, I believe, strongly biblical observations that we should agree with. Number one, when it says that you can have a seared conscience, it doesn't mean that you have to be seared in every area of your life. We have the example of the Pharisees who strained at a gnat and swallowed a camel. In some places in life, they were really picky. But in the major things, they just ran it over like a bulldozer. They didn't care. They were seared. So we cannot think that if we're religious and ritualistic on the one hand, that it's not possible we have a seared conscience. You can be religious and have a seared conscience. Because in one area of your life, you're just choosing to rebel. And you can't see up from down. So don't think that this means they have no conception of right and wrong. But at least in one area, they've, they've just said no to their conscience so many times, they can't see up from down. The other admonition I would give us is this. In that idea of, do you have a sense of guilt for your sin? We see that sin has a certain progression in the life of a person. It says this in Romans 1. It says this in Psalm 1. It talks about those who would sin, but they do so in secret. Like they still have a certain level of remorse. They have to sin in secret. They're not willing to sin in daylight. But over time, they realize, I don't have to do this in secret anymore because their sense of guilt has lessened. And then it seems that the progression goes on to say there are some people who not only they can sin with, in secret or sin in public, they even go as far as to say, I'll support those who sin, scoffers. The kinds of people we see at the end of Romans 1. So we see there is a spectrum. We see that there's a progression. Progression. The difficulty I have is your pastor is being able to say to you, where does the seared conscience come on that spectrum? Do you have to get all the way to the end where you're a supporter of absolute wickedness before we can say you have a seared conscience? It's hard to be able to say that. All that I can say is the process along that road is defiling your conscience. The sad state in the end is that it's seared where you can't tell. We don't have feeling. When sin doesn't feel sinful. When wrong seems as right and right as wrong. That's where some of these folks were. So when it comes to searing your conscience, this is not something that can happen in your life by mistake. It's something that you have to choose to do and do and do and do. 1984, investigators discovered the black box to the Spanish airliner 707 that crashed into the mountain. That black box revealed the fact that the plane's automatic warning system had sounded in the cockpit. The alarm had went, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up. And then the black box records the words of the pilot who shouted back, Be quiet, gringo! Then the pilot switched off the warning system. Soon the plane plowed into the side of the mountain. You see, many people treat the warning of their conscience like the pilot treated the warning of that alarm system that day. They just refused to listen. And while the impact of a defiled conscience is often not deadly like it was on that day in 1984... When you defile your conscience, it is deadening. How long does it take for a conscience to come to the point that it's beyond feeling? I don't know. But it would seem that God's word would be this, because he says this repeatedly. Psalm 95 says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If you have the sense that you ought to pull up today, then you better pull up because it is a wonderful gift of God that you sense that still. That's what God would have any one of us do who has defiled this conscience. Let's pray. Father, as we consider these words, may you make us far more careful about our rebellious heart that goes against you. Help us to realize that the dangers and the disasters of defiling the conscience are real Help us to be more mindful of what we see around us and people who once sat beside us. Whether in a church or in a Christian school, help us to realize that this is the path that is taken to apostasy, to completely forsaking the faith. It comes from choosing not to obey. It comes from rejecting a good conscience. So, Lord, may we be ever so careful with ourselves. May we see your kindness to us in the guilt that comes from sin, in the sense of hating sin. May you show your kindness to us in helping us to confess our sin so that we make sure to have that clear understanding of it. We pray that you would keep us, Lord, from being seared. Lord, help us to not be taken in by what is said so loudly around us in our culture. Help us not to go against what we know is true, what we think might be the case. Help us to always be in a place where we're submitting to you and trying to walk in a way that pleases you. We pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen.